Dude, you'll, it'll start coming to you as soon as I start. As soon as I start talking, you'll be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> on that note, this is the Word on the Hill. You're listening to Lanky Guys. <laughs> My name is Scott Powell. And I am Father Peter Musset. And today, we are so happy to be talking to you. So um, happy. Guess what, everybody? What? Scott's birthday today. Oh, yes, yes. Today, Scott is, is 45 years old. <laughs> At long last. No, I'm not 45, Father Peter. You're not? How old are you? 51. Dude, I, you know, I want to go to like a joke shop and get over, hill, over the hill stuff just for your every birthday that you have Thanks, from man. now on. I am 37 years old. Dude, that's today. a good number. That adds to 10. What? 37. 3 plus 7 oh, equals 3 plus 10. 7 adds to 10. I gotcha. Yeah, so this is like one of those like de- decadorious birthdays. <laughs> Yep. Well, I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did I don't know if you guys out in the cyber world oh. have have looked at the uh, Oscar-winning version of Dumb and Dumber. Oh my gosh! But like, it's, somebody recut Dumb and Dumber into a trailer for like an Oscar-winning film. And you know, it's, it's really funny. And what's sick is that like I actually really want to watch the Which Oscar-winning one? version, the, the, ver- the serious version. Yeah, yeah, the serious version of Dumb and Dumber. Pretty funny. Because I remember the first time I watched that movie, I was so betrayed. Why? Seriously? Uh-huh. I watched it alone. I went on a date to the movie theater. No, you did. I did. Dude, and? And I almost fell out of my seat during the snowball scene. <laughs> Do you remember the snowball where they're in the snowball fight and he just chucks it at her face? Yeah. I Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. a movie theater which no longer exists, which makes me sad and feel old. Was that the Crossroads Mall Theater? Yeah, but Crossroads Mall. It was near Crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, that's the best. Well, you guys, um, um, Scott, it's it's the best to <laughs> have through. you on, on your birthday. Thanks, Let's, man. Let, why don't you say? Why don't we say that you jump into the fourth Sunday in ordinary? Yeah, time? Yeah, it is the fourth Sunday of ordinary time. Um, Lent's Lent's knocking on our door. It's, Lent it's, is knocking on our door, and technically, didn't Christmas isn't okay? Is Christmas over or not? Yes. What happens on February second? February second. Um, that's the old calendar. It's the old calendar. Okay. Yeah, new calendar. Christmas been over since like right the tenth. Yeah, like for a month. That's what I thought. It's not a month. Dude, this is fourth Sunday in ordinary time, dog. Oh yeah, if, you're right. if you count weeks. Fair enough. Of course, the other day, like I was trying to do math of how long I've been living a religious life. Like I entered seminary in '99, and then I did all this math, and and then like I'm like seminary takes seven years. Mm. And then it takes me ten years uh, mm. to get to my tenth anniversary, of which oh. I'm almost at that. Woo! But then, but then that would, you know, I guess that makes sense. Seventeen years. Yeah, yeah, I'll that take math it. works. Yeah, maybe it just t- sometimes it takes saying it out loud. I'm, that's like I really was bad at math. I got bad math genes. I blame my 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 heritage. Yeah, I've got no my, response. My <laughs> inability to do math. I'm trying to think of funny things to say, and I've got nothing. Yeah, you know. It's my birthday. It's the 42nd Sunday of, it's the 40, it's the 40. 42nd Sunday in ordinary Sorry, time. my my eyes are deceiving. My old man eyes can't see the computer screen. <laughs> I get you some bifocals up in here, dude. Sunday of ordinary time. Our first reading is coming from the book of Jeremiah, the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, in the, fact. The bullfrog. Chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, jumping all the way to chapter, uh, Jumping chapter. all the way to verse 17 through 19. By so the, by that was 1, 4 through 5, 17 at 19, through 19. My goodness, I cannot. 
Speak the words. Today is brought to you by Ruffles Sour Cream and Cheddar, yep. um, Red Bull, and Sour Gummy Worms. Although I have to admit, I feel like I've been more temperate today than in the <laughs> days. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, it's, a, your, it's your birthday and you're it's living more temperance, yeah. which is actually really the proper way to go. I was almost set on fire this morning for my birthday. <laughs> what happened? So Lily came in to wake me up, my seven-year-old daughter. Her and Annie made these brownies. There's a tradition that I get woken up with brownies, which is my favorite. Oh. But they came in <laughs> and Lily had you know, one of those breakfast and bed trays yeah. and the huge brownie, but it had all these candles oh, inflamed. No. And Lily came in and she was like, happy birthday. And she tried to set it down. So I was just woken up to this ball of flames and something being placed on me. It was terrifying, <laughs> but it turned quickly into revelry. Hey, do you know that um, if you take flour and aerate it and then put a flame to it, it explodes? That's that's what we'll do after the podcast. <laughs> sounds good. All right. All right. Uh, uh, Jeremiah. Responsorial Psalm is Psalm 71. 71. Uh, one to two, three to four, five to six, fitting, is, and then sending. And then uh, <laughs> and then uh, 15AB is our responsorial. You, you bet it is. Responsorial. Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 through 13, 13. Dude, there's a lot of three one. It's it's one, two, three, one, one, three, one, three. One, two, three, one, one, three. Oh, it's too much. That's a lot of ones and threes and twos. Too and stuff. much. Too much, yep. I say. I tells you. I tells you. And then our gospel is coming from Luke, which is uh, chapter 4, 21 to 30. Which is a direct pickup from where we left off last week. Dude, there's nothing like a pickup game, dude. Nothing like a pickup game, which is where we are this week. So that's what we got. I'm excited. Okay, here, here's the thing. I want to talk a little bit about the background of Jeremiah. Just just a smidge, tiny bit. Because... <laughs> dude, you know, every every consistent lanky guys listener right now is listening to you go, <laughs> laughing to themselves. Why? Because I'm going to be long-winded and boring? No. Not, it's my birthday. you got to be nice to me today. Neither of those things, but okay. you never talk about the context for a little bit because context oh, is is like it, it's everything. Yeah, this is the thing: is is we read the scriptures in a Catholic way, which means yeah. we read the context of a word in a sentence. Yes, a sentence in a paragraph. Yes, paragraph in a chapter. Yes, chapter in a book. Yes, book in the whole thing. Book in the whole thing. Book in the whole thing. So um, a word about Jeremiah, and and part of why I want to do this is we've been talking about Isaiah for a long time. We've been in Isaiah perpetually, <laughs> and I Jeremiah kind of picks up the baton from Isaiah. So everything, let's put it this way, everything that Isaiah prophesies about yep. basically happens in Jeremiah's time. Really? Not all the restoration stuff, the future stuff, but he says all this bad stuff is coming, and it happens in Jeremiah's time. Oh, wow. That's pretty safe to say. Okay. Um, so Jeremiah witnesses to the things that Isaiah prophesied about, which is kind of cool. So the, the narrative is consistent. So Jeremiah, it's a book of uh, basically a collection of oracles, which are essentially warnings against Jerusalem and Judah for the, the things that they've done, right? So um, a little bit of the context, though, because I, I was reading through this yesterday, and I was like, this, is, this applies to our readings. And I don't think we, I, I think our readings actually come to life with a little bit of this context. So we get uh, part of the call of Jeremiah in our reading. So it begins by saying, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. So it's the beginning of of his call. I, I wish we got what came next because a lot of it is so parallel to Isaiah's call. Remember when Isaiah was caught up into the throne room of God and yeah. and uh, he was t- his lips were touched with the burning coals and he says now now you're cleansed. Something really really similar happens to Jeremiah, in fact. Oh wow. Um, but that being said, 
Um, really on in the, in the book, Jeremiah receives this initial call from God, and it says in the text that he got his call during the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah, who reigned 31 years instantly. But do you know who King Josiah, what's King Josiah known for? Do you remember him? Does that name stick out? It does. Um, Josiah, uh, he, I, I don't remember why he's significant. The, the main reason he's significant is because he was one of the only good kings. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was he was a reformer king, and he was the one. Remember, he was the one that they found the book of Deuteronomy, like, buried in the temple somewhere. And they're like, oh, shoot, we should have been doing all this stuff. Yeah. And then he reads it and issues all these reforms. And um, and actually— How is that, how's that different from um, uh, what we were reading about just last week with um, uh, Nehemiah and— It's really similar. Similar. Similar similar moment. of Similar moment. Yeah, really similar moment. Uh, unfortunately, Josiah is pretty short-lived. Um I mean, he he lives. He reigns thirty-one years. But the the moment of this uh, recognition of our sin and we need to turn around that was short-lived. But um, so Josiah uh, Jeremiah starts out in Josiah's reign, and Josiah is really really good. But he has two really lousy sons named Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, who are the ones who come after, and they're the ones that really tank the whole nation. And it's under them that everything falls and the Babylonians attack. So tiny bit of history. So when when um, Josiah took the throne, there was kind of a lull in the international world. So if you think of the international politics of the time, there was this little bit of a lull. So the nation of Assyria, they were the ones that took over the northern kingdom. They were the major superpower. Are you serious? Ah, very wow. good. That's a new one. But by this time, they're in decline, right? So they're heading downhill. That nation is kind of passing away. And the two rising superpowers are Egypt, who's always sort of been powerful, yep. and Babylon. They're both sort of vying for world supremacy. Supremacy. They see Assyria is going down. So the question is, okay, is it going to be Egypt or Babylon? Who's the next superpower? And they both wanted the coastal region that contained Israel. Yeah, which is like— Smack in the middle. Yeah, because it's not only is it a good port— yeah, it's a great. It's the trade. It's the center of the trade route to everything. But you have the Jordan, and actually you have the fertile valley, the Canaan Canaan Valley. I mean, it's like yeah. it's just it's Galilee. I mean, they're just it's great farming. Yeah, it's a, it's a it, land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, and they, they have all, all the all the great stuff around um, Cana. You know, all the yeah. all great vineyards. Yep. So um, there's a big battle. Uh, the world's sort of in battle for who's going to be powerful. There's a battle that Jerusalem has with Egypt. Uh, there's an, a pharaoh named Nico, but he kills Josiah on the field of battle. So this righteous king dies. And soon after, Egypt is then defeated by Babylon. And this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who we've heard of, right, rises to power. He's is, the one that's going to take over. Isn't that the name of the ship in the Matrix? Is it Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. I believe you, though. But they basically become the superpower, right? So um, Judah's final years and the book of Jeremiah is really all about what happens next. So oh, okay. Egypt basically loses. Babylon takes power. Nebuchadnezzar rises. And this series of kings who come after Josiah basically end up being political footballs being tossed back and forth between Egypt and Babylon. Got it. Who are still kind of vying. So one of the problems is that the Jewish kings repeatedly go to the Egyptians for help. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're threatened. Everyone's kind of breathing down our necks. Um, they go to the Egyptians for help economically and militaristically. Um, to basically ward off the Babylonians who are now in charge. Now, why? There's there's two major reasons that that's a problem. Well, I mean, we, first is the Exodus. I mean, you, right. you you have such an ancient wound there from right. totally despoiling the the Pharaoh. Yes. So, I mean, the fact that they're going to Egypt for help, the nation that enslaved them for 400 years. I mean, you're like, what? How did you're you're reading the biblical narrative and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, this is bad juju. Oh, now, why is it bad that they're turning to Egypt? Who should they be turning to? 
the Lord our God. Yeah, and it almost sounds trite to say, but I mean, that's so crucial for understanding the story. There is threat well, all around them. Well, I mean, that's why David as a king is its greatest king is because yeah. he's like, you, tra- you trust in staff, sword, and scimitar. Yeah. And when in fact, I trust in the Lord, our God, and he's going to win the victory and I'm going to cut your head off, Goliath. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is Israel's, always Israel's problem. They want to turn to things other than the Lord to help them. This is all, I mean, hopefully you guys can see the the bigger problem. This is what we always want to do. We always want to turn to something. We're we're a people who are perpetually afraid, right? There's always danger around us. There's always threat. There's always something that could destroy us or kill us. I mean, them and us. Right. And so we always want to turn to something other than God to help us. How can we get more power, more money, more military, more political leader that'll protect us rather than turning to the one true God? That's always been the problem. Father Brady, he's been saying a lot recently is like salvation resides in where we go with our pain. Yeah, that's absolutely it. It's like, are are we willing to actually go to the Lord our God or are we going to turn to other stuff? Which that's fascinating that you said that Um, because, okay, back to the story really quick. So. It's, it's a problem because, number one, they're supposed to turn to God. Number two, Egypt should have terrible memories for them. But number three, who's the, super, who's the reigning superpower? Israel. No. The world oh, superpower. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Babylon it's is Babylon, Babylon so you, is winning. How do you think Babylon's going to feel that they're taking refuge in the enemy nation? They're going to rally their forces and be like, you, we're going we're gonna to show you who's boss. Israel's now an enemy. Right? Yeah. Because they've turned to the opposed. So they're, they're treasonous now. So you see why Babylon wants to destroy them. Um, that's important because, now again, they get there because they make a series of terrible decisions. They don't trust in God. And because of all of these things, and really making idols out of political allies and militaristic allies and other nations, they make idols out of them. Yeah. Um, Babylon's mad. They're going to take over. They're going to breathe. They're, you know, they're going to destroy him because of that. And basically, by the end of the book, this is fascinating. The uh, the instruction that Jeremiah gives. Do you remember what Jeremiah tells to Israel in order to save them? If you want to save your butts, what do you have to do? I don't remember. He says the unthinkable. You he have says, to offer incense to their gods. No, 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 no. That's that's the really unthinkable. He says you have to submit to Babylon. He's like, let it happen. They're going to try to take you over. It's too late for you. You've already put your trust in other things. Submit. The Lord says this to Israel. The Lord says this to Israel. And if you do that, Yeesh. trust me. If you basically, and, and it's not it's not this like worship their God. It's none of that. But it's basically take your punishment. Pick up the cross. You've already set yourself. You've built your own cross. Now pick it up, take it. You've if made you your are, bed, sleep in it. Yes. And if you're faithful to that, God says, I'm going to build you back up. There's going to be huge restoration. It's going to go well for you, in other words. But the one thing that Israel cannot do is give over to that. Now, even even saying that out loud, it sounds so like politically heretical that you could. How could we give in to another nation? How can we submit to any? We're a culture that refuses to submit to anything. We're the chosen even people. Even God. Yeah, we. Oh, but Israel even and God. Us. Yeah. You know what I mean, though. Yeah. So to say that to read Jeremiah, most Christians have never read the tail end of Jeremiah, to know that that's actually what they're supposed to do. Now, I don't know. I'm not trying to make an analogy with with now and you know, present time, but. The idea is we do what God asks us to, and, and what he asks them to do is that. Um, Jeremiah is going to be the one who's asked to tell them this throughout and from the beginning of his ministry. And <laughs> That's this is a what, great gig. So this is the context we need to know when we get the reading this week when God says to him, gird up your loins, stand up and tell them 
everything that I command you. Do not be crushed on their account as though I would have crushed you before them. Yeah. For on this day, I have, uh, for it is I this day who made you, Jeremiah, a fortified city, a pillar of iron, a wall of brass against the whole land. So stand against Judah's kings and her princes, against its priests and its people. They will fight against you, but not prevail over you. For I am with you to deliver you. And again, if you know the end of the story, what he's eventually going to have to tell them to do, you're like, that's a big deal. Yeah. So that's that's what we need to know about the first reading. Um, yeah. And I think knowing that background, that's actually kind of what, what at least I've been using to understand the rest of the readings. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Any I'm other gonna, thoughts I, on that? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that. I'm going to look at him in that light. It's cool. And if you guys get a chance to go back, you, you really should read the rest of um, God's call. So basically he says all this to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, we don't get all of his response, but he's clearly terrified. And he, he basically responds that I'm a youth. I don't speak very well. I'm too young. You know, it sounds like Moses. Remember, that's the same thing Moses said. I can't go before Pharaoh. I'm too young. I don't speak well. And God's response is, I am with you. Which, here's the thing. Whenever you see God saying the words, I am with you yeah. in the Bible, uh-huh. it's not good. I mean, it's good that God's with you, but, the but ta- he says the task, that. The task at hand is because you have to know that because what you're going to go in is you're going to get confused and it's ask get the ugly. question. It's going to get ugly. Yeah. Ironically, not ironically, but interesting, like that's what the angel says to Mary. So do you remember in the, this, I, I think this is fascinating. It's in Luke when the angel appears to Mary and he says, the Lord is with you. Mary responds with fear. And you're like, well, why is Mary afraid? Her, her fear is rightly placed. If she mm. understands why there's an angel saying the Lord is with me, every other time the Lord says that to somebody, it means they're going to have to do something really painful. Times are going to get hard. So she gets it. Fear is the appropriate response. Yeah. Fear rightly placed. Fear, you know, within its context, not debilitating fear, but, you know, yeah, she yeah, says yeah. yes anyway. Yeah, yeah. The, the, but she's uh, responding appropriately, the being off, freaked out. The off-filled respect. Yeah, yeah. No, and not, realizing, oh boy, that's not what I wanted to hear. Not, not terror. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like recognizing and reverencing the reality yeah. of yeah, which is yeah. it's funny because this is this reading from Jeremiah like is consistently what you get at ordinations. Is it really? Yeah, they Take read that. this at ordinations all the time. I didn't guys, know that. Yeah, because it's like don't let you know, don't let anybody despise your youth. Wow. You know, stand up and you're going to do what I ask and you're going to go for it. And, and they're not always going to like it. And Yeah. And gird wow. up your Lord, stand up and tell them all that I command you. Wow. That's and, intense. Um, and then it's like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to be real. Yeah. And you, it's going to get real. Which, how can that be? The answer comes in the Psalm then. And you get the yeah. response, right? Well, well, I, well before that, oh, though, yeah, yeah, please. we actually have to, like, the before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. Please. Th- that, that moment, I mean, theologically is, mm. is a recognition that in some ways there's like our existence is, is like eternal in God. Yes. God is simple and, and perduring and there's no change ever introduced into God. Yeah. Um, And so there's something really kind of wild. The fact that from the very beginning, we're caught up in the mystery and that's just something that, I don't know, just where it's just worth recognizing and, and remembering as we're, as we're going along. Well, and it is, and take the flip side. So, I mean, that, that line, that imagery is so intimate, you know? I mean, that's how God knows us. It's this intimate language of a mother with a child in the, in the womb, all yeah. these things. And that speaks to, again, what Jeremiah is going to say. Every, everything that Jeremiah says, all of his warnings, his message is that sin is always personal. 
right? Yeah. We want to have this idea that, well, here's a sin that doesn't really hurt anybody or here's this thing. And what mm. he's saying is all sin is infidelity in your marriage to God. Yeah. You are wed to God. He loves you. He's formed you in the womb. He knew you. All sin is personal against that. I'm trying to remember where I read this. It might have been in the office of readings, but it said that um, uh, any presumption actually is idolatry. Oh, wow. I know. Presumption meaning Shoot. presuming upon the mercy and grace of God. For yeah. for us as Catholics, I mean, presumption is is like, oh, I'll do this, yeah. and then I'll just go to confession. Yeah, right. And that, that in fact, that that's actually what an idolatrous spirit is. <sighs> I know, and I was like... Because you're using God as like a, as like a, a magic trick, right? A car wash or... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it's it's just one of those <clears throat> things to where it's just a very dangerous place to get into presumptiveness. Ooh, I, know. I don't want that. Me I don't want that. neither. Ain't nobody want that. So, let's get into Psalm, Psalm. seventy-one. Um, the response itself: "I will sing of your salvation." Again, put that in the context of what we just looked at with Jeremiah. Here is the people of Israel, and and even at the beginning, even before they're you know being attacked by Babylon, they never have power. They're always this political football that's being tossed back and forth. And the response in that situation is, "Well, I will sing of your salvation, Lord." I will turn to you. And it goes on. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Not in Egypt. Right. Not in our politicians. Not in the security of my job. Let me never be put to shame. In your justice, rescue me and deliver me. Why? Because they're attacking me. Because they're breathing down my neck. Because there are threats. There is fear. There's legitimate things to be afraid of. Right. I'm reminded of that scene in um, Prince Caspian. Remember in the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah. Where... uh I actually, don't I actually never saw Bruce Caspian. I don't remember it super well, but I was reading a, an article about it. But it, it was this moment where, you know, everybody is terrified because there's all these threats. They blow the magical horn, you know, to call the, the children back. <laughs> and they come back and, and they're all hoping for the salvation. Nobody, you know, part of some of them don't know if the horn has worked. Did it really bring back the children? And there's this, this is he a dwarf? Whatever he is. His name is Nickabrick. And basically he's like, well, these kids aren't coming. You know, these heroes, they're not coming. So let's blow this other horn, which will bring back the White Witch. Because at least she was powerful. And at least there's power there. So we're terrified. And at least she, she was powerful. She defeated people. Let's just get her on our side. And this, this idea we have is that it doesn't matter where the help is coming from as long as somebody who gives an appearance of power will come and help us. And the answer is no. Aslan, the, the constant answer throughout this narrative in the Chronicles of Nar- in Prince Caspian is, Aslan is closer than you think. Mm. You can't see him. He's coming though. Just yeah. wait a little longer. He's much closer than you think he is. Don't resort to this choice. And they're like, we just want salvation from something. We don't care where the salvation comes from, as long as something comes and it has power. And it's this very dangerous mindset that we get into. That's what Israel's doing instead of what the psalm is saying. No, in your justice, rescue me, deliver me, incline your ear, be my rock of refuge, my stronghold to save me, my rock, my fortress, all these things. There's a confidence to that, that why I can't totally see you, Lord. I don't see Aslan coming, but I know he's there. I know he's close. And sometimes we got to put our face down and submit to the Babylonians and push forward, knowing that God will pull us out of it. Sometimes we just have to shoulder the cross, trusting that God's going to help us carry it. Yeah. But that's an unbelievably hard thing to do. But that's what the psalm is encouraging, I guess. Which leads us directly into First Corinthians, which I yeah. I'm trying to understand how this bad Oscar fits in. Let's get let's get into yeah. talking about Corinthians. I mean, I know that the Corinth is like yeah is a very intellectual, new moneyed city filled with um, 
filled with uh, the desire to follow after kind of speakers like yeah. the, like yeah. like uh, you know they're really into the Isthmus Games took place there so yep. it's like kind of when the Olympics weren't happening they would do the minor versions every other year yeah every other year and so you so you have a lot of this like which means that they're seeing the best in athletics the best in intellectual life and and so <laughs> well Paul thinks their intellectual life is a bit lacking. Well, yeah. I mean, he thinks they're posers. Yes. Basically, they're the next door neighbors to Athens, which is where the real intellectual life happened. And everybody, the Corinthians were apparently trying to make themselves look like the Athenians. Like, look how wise we are. Look how well spoken we are. Uh, but it was like, you guys are a joke. You're not. You're not Athens. You're not. You don't have the Socrates and the Plato's. Who are you guys? Who are you, who are you fooling? Everything they do is number two. They're like, but we have the Isthmus games. They're like, it's not the Olympics. They're like, but we have these philosophers. They're like, well, you don't have the Athenians. Everything they do is just kind of, and that's what Paul uses in this letter. He's like, look, you guys are pathetic. You, God used what is lowly and nothing and pathetic and a bunch of washed up <laughs> losers. And he really tears them down so that he can say, but if he can use you, he can use anybody. <laughs> wow. And that's how powerful God is because he has actually <laughs> saved you, the likes of you guys. He needs to bring them down from their pedestal a little bit. Well, and I think that's the story of Israel. Israel often is like, we are the best. But it's important to remember, I mean, Israel is the foundation of our faith. They are spiritual powerhouse. But politically and, you know, geopolitical wise, they were totally insignificant. They were a thoroughfare. They were a highway um, turnoff. Dude, let me give you an analogy for a second. Okay, so in in Colorado, you have kind of the the three main, uh, you know, intellectual centers. CU, CSU, and UNC. Now, now you have to. Mines is in there, but there are a lot of engineers. So, whatever. Like, but this is the not thing. Not DU. D, DU. They're, they're they're a force, but they're not big. They're not like they're not one of the big. Yeah. 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 The three big universities. So people are going to take issue with you. Just be forewarned. No, I know. I, this I'm is, with you. I'm this with is you. An I'm, I'm tracking. This I'm tracking. is an I'm analogy. Yep. And and so what happens is that. Oftentimes, um, I mean, I know I'm at CU, so I kind of believe in CU. Yeah, we all know your heart is still in Greeley. <laughs> we, um, let me just all track right, with right, you, track right. me for a second. A- so what happens is that is that in a certain sense, CU is the flagship university of the state. It's not a certain sense. It is the flagship university. Yes. Sorry. So then CSU really wants to be <laughs> like, so Fort Collins, Fort Collins really wants to be Boulder. Ooh, you're going to get some angry. And, and Greeley really <laughs> wants to be Fort Collins. <laughs> <laughs> and and Denver's like Denver's like and then you have Western State and they're like what yeah yeah and, and like Golden is like we're just building stuff over here we're smarter than all of you <laughs> yeah that but that's true but but I, what I think is funny is like you have uh, Focus Fellowship of Catholic University students mm. their headquarters f- for a very long time were based out of Greeley yeah and that that in fact one of the most potent um potent forms of the holy spirit's action in the Absolutely. church in modern church of the day comes out of greeley it doesn't come mm, out of the true. doesn't come out of out of, out of boulder or do, doesn't come out of um, fort collins it comes out of greeley it's yeah. it's it's like greeley's like yeah we're awesome over here like which by the way i'm i am a grad of of greeley and yeah. i'm like totally like this is amazing yeah. and um but i but I, it, good... it, it's kind of like what saint paul is saying here he's like he's like dude but god can even use greeley to change the face of the earth brothers it is what he's saying i mean it really is now, the problem is greeley doesn't have uh this complex where they think they're better than everybody else. The Corinthians do. Yeah. So they need first to be torn down so that they can be built up in the correct way. Yeah, it's like CSU. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now we're getting the correct analogy. But but the other thing about this is that um, we love you, CSU we Rams. We love you, CSU Ram. We and really we do. love you, Bears, and we love you, Dragons and, and Pioneer Dragons. Who are the Dragons? I don't know. I was, <laughs> I've been reading Harry Potter. So. Yeah, we do. But the other thing is that I mean, if you if so, that's the context, and this is what this is a huge that insight is huge. But there's also just the very simple one-to-one analogy of the first reading, which is that, look, God, and and related to the priesthood, God has called Jeremiah to do this job. He's called the priests that you're ordained with to do this job. These are the readings that remind us of that. If Jeremiah goes without love, he's actually not going to succeed in his vocation. If you go into parishes and you stand up on your pedestal and you yell at everybody and you're like, you guys all stink— and you actually don't do, and sometimes hard words need to be said. Oftentimes hard words need to be said, but if they're not said with love, you're just a clanging gong, right? And that's symbol. what this, yeah. yeah, clashing symbols. And that's what this, the second reading is all about. If I speak in human angelic tongues, but I don't have love, I'm just resounding gong or clashing symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy like Jeremiah, and if I comprehend all the mysteries and all knowledge, I have faith to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And it goes on in this way. And it's important for us to remember as the really we are the ones to whom God has given his word right the word that will inform the reality of the world we're living in we have the answers we have hope right and if we take that hope and if we take that reality and we yell it in people's faces or we beat them over the heads with it or worse we keep it from them altogether because they're a bunch of idiots in our minds then we've got nothing. It doesn't matter what insights we have into the scriptures. It doesn't matter how often you go to mass or pray your rosary or go to adoration. If you have not love and you're actually sharing those things, so what? This, in my mind, is a lot yeah. of what Pope Francis is getting at. Totally. He's speaking to us. We get super freaked out. And people get so worried. Well, how come you're not you know, speaking about more about abortion and about um, you know, the Middle East and about whatever the, the issue du jour people want? But what he's saying is, no, you faithful Catholics— you're actually not doing your job well enough. You're living the faith. You're doing these things. You're being faithful to the pro-life movement, all these things you're doing. But make sure that you're going out into the world with love then, or else all the things you're doing, they're not going to bear fruit. Yep. That's what I'm seeing. from. I'm seeing it aimed at me. Great, Scott, you're doing great things. You're working for the church. Super duper. But do you have love when you go out on CU's campus, when you go out into the world, when you engage with your friends, when you go out to a bar? Are you engaging the world with a profound love? Because if not, it doesn't matter how much you've studied. It doesn't matter how many people listen to your podcast. Who cares? Because you're not doing the job. And yeah. that's what God is getting at with Jeremiah. It's not right. going to work. Right. That's what I take from this. Yeah. So, and yes, you're right about the Corinthian analogy because I need to be put down from my high horse. Me too. I need to be torn down a little bit and reminded, oh, yeah. It's actually not about me. It's about the God who works through even the likes of me. Right. Then we can move. Then we can do this, which yeah. is, which is the best, and we, which is uh, in direct contrast between to the ubermensch mentality that is. the will to power, the the expression of control. The more control you have, the greater you really are. Absolutely. And like, like, like somehow, like the Christian vision is the exact opposite. Right. Uh, that it, it, it's funny. Like you ask bishops. Who has all the power in the diocese? Mm. And they'll say, the he'll say, me. 
No, he won't say that. <laughs> he'll, say, he'll say he'll say the pastors. You ask the pastors who has all the power in the diocese, and they'll say it's the bishops. The little old ladies. <laughs> actually, they no, have the real power. No, no, we this all is, know. This is actually the truth. The, it, it's the ones. That it's it's the little ones. It is though, and and like it, it remains that way, and it will always be that way because the servitude of our hearts is really meant for. For the service of the glory of God. Who are the most powerful people in the ministry at St. Thomas Aquinas? The students, the little ones. It's the sisters of life. Oh, shoot. It's these little sisters, these unassuming Mm. four nuns that come here once a month. They have done more for this ministry and their quietness and their humility and they're just showing up and being present. They're changing the ministry. These little, you know... Women, little women. <laughs> little women. They're, 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 These little sisters. They are the powerhouses. No, you, dude, they wield no authority. They don't work here. They don't get a paycheck from us. They just do all the work. <laughs> they have patience and kindness. And I don't know. In my mind, they're not like, rude. And they don't seek their own interests. They're not quick-tempered. And they that's don't brood. They don't rejoice over, but rejoice with the truth. They bear all things, yeah. believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Yeah. They don't fail. It's really, it's really true. Today's sister Conchepta's birthday too. Happy birthday, sister Conchepta. She's not little either, by the no, way. She's they, probably not listening. They're, they're all tall. They are all tall, and yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah. They're the they're the best. We just went to San Francisco with them for the March for Life, and and like there was and like some of our students like really, they really like were weeping and like because the protests were very vehement, in a way that I haven't seen before. Guys, the March for Life in D.C. is phenomenal and i've been many times me too it is the flagship march for life it's what you know started it all it's wonderful and i've been to it many times and i love it but these guys and i wasn't able to go but these guys went to san francisco for the west coast march for life guys that's where you need your prayers they need your prayers because they saw the face of evil and they were shouted out and they had awful terrible things done and said to them and our students took it and the sisters of life hugged them and were there and the bishop walked beside them you guys that's where the battle is happening so pray for our students pray for pray for that i don't know that just opened my mind when you guys came back because i was hearing about all the blizzard stuff and isn't it great and all these people still went to the march in dc and it is amazing but i was like but you guys really fought the fight well and we watched with uh we walked with um uh, archbishop corleone oh man um lion heart he's a stud yeah he is he's a total rock star and um, walking with him, I was like honored. But then I also just imagined, like, if that happened in Boulder, you know, to be in, like at the university, like that. Mar- I was like, I was like, what is going on in that man's heart as he is praying yeah. for all of his people, for for those who are close and for those who are far, and then walking, watching the sisters just surround him with love and and patience and yeah. and prayer. It was really, it was really super cool. Yeah, which, which takes us to, to the, the gospel. gospel. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus, remember he. Um, Last week, we got the introduction, Luke's introduction to his gospel. What's he doing? And then Jesus' first act of public ministry, which in Luke, um, each of the gospel writers choose a different thing to, to talk about to start their narrative of Jesus' ministry. The first public thing he does in Luke is go back to his hometown in Nazareth and give this uh, sermon, this homily about the Jubilee year, which is this year uh, all about freedom and release. And remember... Israel now has basically been, in one way or another, in exile or slavery for hundreds of years by this point. Jesus shows up in Nazareth, and he's like, now today's the day that freedom begins. Now it starts. Let freedom ring. And today what we get 
is that everybody here, and, and, and they're like, this is great. Today, he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They all spoke highly of him. They were amazed at the gracious words out of his mouth. And they were like, but isn't this the son of Joseph? We know him. Wow. And Jesus senses that there's something amiss. And he says, surely you will quote me this program, uh, this proverb, physician, cure yourself and say, do here in your native place the things that were done in Capernaum. And he said, amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. And he goes on, he tells these two stories about Elijah and Elisha. Here's the thing that gets weird. Okay. You're reading through these readings, and especially I'm thinking about the first reading, and I'm thinking about an Israel that has felt like a political foot. I keep using that line. Political football. Political football, just tossed back and forth. It's the best analogy. Well, we're going to the Super Bowl, so football's on my mind. Are you going to the Super Bowl? I'm not going In to the San Super Francisco? Bowl. In San Francisco? The Bronco, the Denver Broncos. Oh, oh dude. We I'm are a, Broncos. We, hashtag. We are Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> but so they're being tossed around and they're like, when will God save us? Why isn't he, you know, we need help. Everybody's beating up on us. Us, 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 us. And that's true. They are getting beat up on. But then Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, guess what? Remember that story when Elijah went and um, uh, he went to this widow at Zarephath? There were a bunch of people in Israel that probably needed his help. He went to the outsider. He went to, um, in the land of Sidon, he went to the, the a non-Israelite. Bum, and he bum, healed her. And bum. then there was Elisha, right? And he didn't go to any of the Israelites. He went to Naaman the Syrian. And he went and he performed works of mercy. And he worked there. And the people, I'd have loved to have seen the scene, to have seen what was going on. And Luke's telling it the best he can, but I would love to, you know, what 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 made him say that? Like, what in their hearts did Jesus sense? And he's like, hey, you guys, speaking of the Corinthians getting big-headed, like, it's all about us. It's all about me. Right. And even taking the readings in their proper context, realizing God wants to save me. God wants to get me out of trouble. He wants to help me carry my cross. And Jesus is like, well, wait a second. Don't forget that the greatest of the prophets went to other people, not just you, because they realize, no, it's not just about me. Right. God actually is a God who wants to save the world. And that really ticks him off. They're like, wait, a how dare you? I mean, it, it, put it in the context of the first reading and imagine um, Jeremiah saying, hey, God wants you not only to submit to the Babylonians, but he wants the Babylonians as his sons and daughters. He wants King Nebuchadnezzar to come into his courts and be his son. Mm -hmm. He wants the Syrians. He wants the Assyrians. He wants the Egyptians. He wants Pharaoh to be his son. That is something that's totally distasteful to the people in Jesus' audience. They don't want to hear that because they've become like the Corinthians and it's all been about them. Mm. Uh, and we only know that because of their response, because they're so ticked off of Jesus speaking about God showing mercy to the outsiders and to the people who we saw as our enemy. Not Forget about the outsiders. It's not just God showing mercy to the outsiders. It's God showing mercy to the people we thought were our enemies, who right. are our enemies. Right. God's going to take care of them. That's what you came here to tell us. That's your message to us, that it's a year of salvation. It's a year of release. And the release he wants to offer is to the Romans and the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Mm. Really, you came here to tell us that? It's like going, you know, like God wants to show mercy to ISIS. God wants to save the Iranians and the North Koreans. Like we all have this understanding. We know God loves everybody. He wants to save everybody. But all of a sudden, like all of our skin bristles a little bit. Like mm, the North Koreans, though, like the, the the Iranians, does he really want them? Like, but they're too, they, they're, we just don't like them and they're yeah, dangerous. And Yeah, we. the Lord wants to. There's only so to, far we're willing to uh, take God's mercy. Putin. You know? Yeah. We don't want to go there. No. We don't like that. 
Obama. He wants to save Obama. Oh, but he's a jerk. We don't like him. You know what I mean? There's yep. just only so far we're willing to go. And these guys, sometimes we just hold that in our hearts and we let it fester. These guys at least have the honesty to let it come out. And they're like, we don't want to hear this. And they try to throw him off a cliff and they try to stone him. And Jesus slips out of their midst. Um, partially because what Jesus has come to do is ultimately his telos is leading to the cross. He's going to suffer and die and give his life. But before he does that, he's got work to do. And a lot of the Gospels are spent telling you the story of Jesus evading death. He's slipping through death. He didn't just come to die. He came to establish a church that would be far-reaching and have love and be evangelistic and actually show God's mercy to the ends of the earth. Once he begins to do that, then he can give his life in its totality on the cross in order to give the church the grace to have the love that he calls us to in 1 Corinthians. But... um, it's not always a grace we're willing to accept. It's not always a mercy we're willing to pour out. Right. And that's Jesus' challenge here. And that's the challenge that goes all the way back to Jeremiah. What if Jeremiah told you to love the Nebuchad- to love the Babylonians? What if God asked that of you? It's a little too much for us sometimes. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking about with all these together. Yeah, but and, and here's the thing is actually to let the Lord love you in the midst of, uh, of their yes. faces. And I think that that's why the moment of, of, of the Lord letting... Jeremiah, imitate his cross, his crucifixion. I will not leave yeah. you crushed before them. Yeah. And, and that you, your love, like, like loving and being patient and, and being kind in the midst of this and yeah. bearing with wrongdoing, like the cross really does reflect all of these moments in yeah. the midst of it. And that's, that's a hard thing to actually let yourself be is loved by God in this really difficult, Absolutely. super complex way that is not actually all the way intelligible. That, that's actually some, one of the hard parts about being Christians mm-hmm. in the modern world is that like, no, we're always going to be in, in imitation of Christ. Yeah. And in imitation of Christ is the, 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 those things in the world that are going to be, uh, they're going to afflict us because we are bound together. We believe yeah. that we really are meant to be together, that one celebra- one victory is all of ours and one defeat is all of ours. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that we're not so much individualistic as, as we are really are bound to each other in this way that's very important. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And and so so we're going to be bound to Jesus Christ, who is who is the glue, he is the gluten that that joins us, <laughs> because he binds himself to us, right? And that's the key. He always takes the initiative. Mm. That's why we ha- are able to do that, and that's why we imitate him. Yes, and, and it's not that we loved him, but that he first loved us, right? Which gives us the ability to love ourselves and to love the people around us. Absolutely, boom. boom. Well, you guys, thanks for joining us today and, and getting the cross in your hearts and um, a little couple of shouts out. One of them is to uh, to John Smith in Maryland. Woo! Yeah, what's up? He, um, uh, you know, in the middle of the snowstorm, I guess uh, we we kept him uh, going and oh, alive. Good. Yeah, that's stuck in the snow. Yeah, dude, that's the best. Yeah, he does. He does. I guess water piping for. Um, uh, for DC and the city, and oh, like you had a hard yeah, that's like out of that bat. yeah, that's like there's a lot of water in that place right now. Real, you guys, you guys are the best, and especially the sisters of life who oh, man. probably never listen to us. So maybe who knows? Who knows? One day, one sister is gonna listen and they're gonna be like, "Do you remember that episode?" <laughs> <laughs> I can't do. I can't do. No, that was good. That voices. was spot on. Yeah, sisters, they're 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 cooler than my women's. That's true. Too. All right, you guys, we'll be back next week. We will see you then. 
Happy birthday, Scott. Happy birthday to Scott. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm turning Happy off. Happy birthday I'm it off now. to Scott.